Welcome to the Movement Church Podcast. Our vision is to be a movement of people finding their way back to God. We want to be a place where you can own your faith and take next steps in your relationship with Jesus. Maybe your next step is to seek out a community and join a movement group. Maybe it's supporting movement financially for the first time or using your gifts on a volunteer team. Whatever God is calling you to do, our prayer is that you will step out in faith and let Him lead you. For more information about your next step, please visit movementcolumbus.com. Well, it was incredible to be together last week for Easter Sunday. It was a party 13 months in the making. We had not been together for over a year. We got to be together at Northwest Chapel and just worship and sing together, be together again, and be the church. It was so good. And so uh, we'll be doing that here on and off for a couple weeks before we are officially back together every week starting in May. We're kind of ramping up toward in-person services. We do still need some help volunteering and movement kids and set up and tear down and some other things. So I hope as we uh, begin to be the church again, you'll think about how can I help? How can I contribute? How can I invest? But I am so excited that we are back. We are together. And I'm excited uh, for what we're going to do today. We're starting a new series in the book of Romans. We do a book study a couple times a year just because we want to showcase uh, the Bible uh, as books. We want people to see the value in these books. We want people to to read them. And so if you get a chance this month, I hope that you can be reading the book of Romans. Maybe pop it on in your, your car, listen to it on the way to work when you're out. And we want to just sit in this book and and uh, and read this whole book and, and learn from it, see what God has for us. So we are going to be in Romans chapter 3 today, kicking things off here. Romans chapter 3, verses 10 to 28. Got a couple passages of scripture we want to go through. Lots of good stuff that we think is uh, is going to teach us today. So Romans chapter 3, verses 10 to 28. The purpose of the book of Romans is, is pretty simple. Uh, the Apostle Paul wrote this book to the church and the believers in Rome. Uh, he wrote this really to just anchor them in the gospel. The gospel, the good news of Jesus is the foundation for a life surrendered to Jesus, uh, the foundation for the church. And Paul wanted them to have deep roots in the gospel and know the gospel. He wanted their knowledge of the gospel to lead to obedience. He wanted it to push them to holiness in their daily lives. That was his prayer for them now. And that's God's prayer and what we want out of this book also. So here is Romans chapter three, verse 10. It says this. As the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. Their talk is foul, like the stench from an open grave. Their tongues are filled with lies. Snake venom drips from their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. They rush to commit murder. Destruction and misery always follow them. They don't know where to find peace. They have no fear of God at all. Well, this open section is is colorful. It's sobering to say the least. It's got a lot of punch there. And these verses I just read about sin are kind of a combination of uh, some quotes and some uh, passages that are from Psalms and, and Isaiah. And they get right to the point about who we are as mankind. Paul says that we are all under sin. And so when he writes, there's no one that's righteous, Paul is saying that to be under sin and to be unrighteous are, are really the same thing. If we remember that righteous is a positional term, we realize that no one is blameless with respect to God and others. We've wronged God. We've wronged others. You and I, we owe the people we've wronged. We owe God. We're in debt 
And the people that we have wronged, the people that we have sinned against, have a claim against us. And so to be under sin is a legal position. So you might think that as I read this, there's no one righteous, there's no one good, we're terrible people, it's, it's, it's heavy, it's sobering, it's depressing. And I gotta be honest, you're not wrong. But Paul gives some background and support so you know he isn't picking on anyone. He's more just speaking facts that we need to hear. Paul's statement is that the Jews and the Gentiles, those who were the, the official nation of God throughout the Old Testament and the, the people who weren't uh, officially the, the country that God had made a covenant with, they were both guilty of sin. They were both under sin. They were lost in sin. And in chapter one of the book of Romans, Paul told the story of the Gentiles who were lost in their immorality. And this is really, I want to read this passage from Romans one. This is the issue, the tension that we all live in the sin that we're all lost in. It says this, Romans 1, verse 18, a powerful, well-known passage. But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his indivisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, so they have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship God as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their heart desired. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. That is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the woman turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men, and as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that never should be done. Their lives became full of every wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. They are backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning, and they disobey their parents. They refuse to understand break their promises, are heartless, and have no mercy. They know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die, yet they do them anyway. Worse yet, they encourage others to do them. That is the background of chapter three that we first read. When Paul says no one is righteous, he's coming at it from a foundation where we have turned our backs on God, me, you, us, mankind, every human that's ever lived, everyone that calls earth home. We are people who have turned from God's ways, chosen our own way, and we're separated from him and lost in our sin. That is what it looks like to be detached from God. Those are, are people who are, who are called godless. And yet there's a whole nother classification. There are people who think, no, I'm doing all right. No, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. I'm a, I'm a religious person. I'm doing some good things. And so Romans one was what I just read. Romans two is actually what's laying the foundation to say, Hey, some of you think you're doing better than you are. Some of you are lost, even though you're religious, even though you're moral. This is what is said to moral people in Romans chapter two, verse one says this. 
You may think you can condemn such people, talking about chapter one that I just read, but you are just as bad and you have no excuse. When you say they are wicked and should be punished, you are condemning yourself for you who judge others do these very same things. And we know that God in his justice will punish anyone who does such things. Since you judge others for doing these things, why do you think you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same things? Skip down to verse five of chapter two. But because you are stubborn and refuse to turn from your sin, you are storing up terrible punishment for yourself. For a day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will judge everyone according to what they have done. Verse 13, for merely listening to the law doesn't make us right with God. It is obeying the law that makes us right in his sight. And verse 17 says this, talking about the Jewish people, talking about moral people, talking about religious people and building this foundation that we're all lost under sin. Verse 17, you who call yourselves Jews are relying on God's law and you boast about your special relationship with him. Well then, if you teach others, why don't you teach yourself? You are so proud of knowing the law, but you dishonor God by breaking it. Paul says the Jews and the Gentiles, the religious and the non-religious, the moral and the the, the amoral are, are all non-religious. They're all lost. Paul is saying we're all lost under sin. We hear this and we immediately want to defend ourselves or play devil's advocate. And that's why I think it's so great that Paul set this foundation where he said people that don't know God are lost under sin. People that are religious or trying to do their own thing are still lost under sin because we want to say, well, I'm still doing better than that guy, right? We, we like to think I'm, I'm still doing better than that other person. Does this mean that every person is just as sinful as every other person? Yeah. Now, does this mean that our, our legal condition is all the same? Yeah. Maybe there are some different earthly conditions of a, a certain sin. I like to think that a little white lie doesn't have the same implications as murder, but in our legal standing, it does. And here are a couple of illustrations I just want to point out. Imagine that two people are killed. One person is poisoned by a small spider and he dies in his sleep. The other person is mauled by a lion and is terribly disfigured. Can you say that one person is more or less dead than the other? Can you say that there are degrees of death? No, there are no degrees of death, just like there are no degrees of sin. It's the same for our legal standing before God. Now imagine this. Imagine three people try to swim from Hawaii to Japan. One man can't swim and drowns just after floundering for 30 feet. Another is an average swimmer and drowns after five miles. And another one is a champion swimmer and he actually makes it for 30 miles. But they all drowned because swimming got the best of them right? Even though one was 5,000 times stronger than the other, none of them could come a fraction of the way from going from Japan to Hawaii. Is one more drowned than the other? No, there's a reality, a sobering reality here. Religious people, non-religious people, Jews, Gentiles, moral people, immoral people, we're all lost in sin and defined by sin. In fact, that's our, our first point for this morning. If you're taking notes, if you want to write this down, I know it's sobering, but this is the reality. Everyone is under sin, meaning that our legal position is that we are indebted to sin. What does it mean to be under sin? What does it mean to be lost in sin and condemned by sin? Well, it means that sin affects us. 
Everyone is under sin and everyone is affected by sin. In verses 10 to 18, Paul kind of lists the effects of sin and I'm not trying to make us feel any more guilty, but this is a powerful topic this morning. I'm not trying to pile on us, but I wanna take a look at the effects of sin as a backdrop. You might say, I don't like being called a sinner. You're picking on me, you're picking on us. That's depressing, but I, I wanna be honest today. What effect does sin have on us? What effect does sin have on our lives? What does sin have an effect on? Well, sin, first of all, has an effect on our legal standing. No one is legally righteous and no one's deeds can change that. Verse 10 tells us that we are guilty and condemned. Even our best deeds and our performances are completely useless in improving our standing before God. Sin has an effect on our minds. Verse 11 tells us because of our core nature being corrupted by sin, we don't understand God's truth. Sin clouds and darkens our thinking about spiritual issues. Sin also affects our motives. Verse 11b tells us that no one seeks God. None of us want to find him. And so rather than running from God, we're hiding from God. And all we do, even in our religion, even in our morality, we are hiding from God and we have terrible motives. Sin has an effect on our will. Verse 12 tells us that, that that they've turned away from God. There's no one who does good. It's basically like the verse in Isaiah that says, all like sheep have gone astray and turned everyone to our own way. It's a statement against our our willfulness or our self-will. We are demanding to be self-determined and choose our own path. Sin has an effect on our legal standing, our minds, our motives, our will. Sin has an effect also on our tongues. Verses 15 to 16 say their throats are open graves. This talks about how sin affects the tongue and how speech and words affect our lives. The image here is that there's a a grave with rotting bodies and that's what sin is inside of our lives. Sinful words are signs of and causes of decay. Sin also has an effect on our relationships. Verse 15 to 17 talk about shed blood and, and how we don't know Peace and sin has an effect on our relationships. We're self-centered and we fight each other all of our lives and all of civilization. There's never been peace in human history and we can look at that and say that sin has affected our relationships. The final one here is that sin has an effect on our relationship to God. This passage tells us that we have no fear of God. And so sin is characterized by us running from God. Sin makes us forget God. Sin makes God unreal to us. And if it's the opposite of fear in which your passion is to come before him and always think of him, there are two ways to live life, forgetting the reality of God and being aware of the reality of God. Our relationship to God is affected and we lack a fear of God. So there's our foundation of Romans 3. Romans 3.19 says this, obviously the law applies to those to whom it was given. For its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show that the entire world is guilty before God. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply simply shows us how sinful we are. Well, we've already established that everyone is under sin and everyone is affected by sin. Here's another thing we can say about everyone. Everyone is held accountable by the law. Now, when I say the law, I mean the law of the Old Testament. Maybe we can best think of it as the way that God's morality, God's design for mankind has been written on our hearts and our conscience. It's best evidence and maybe well known by the Ten Commandments. God gave a set of rules and a a really a foundation for society that he, he gave to mankind. 
That's called the law. The law is right and wrong. The law is morality. And the law is often a reality check for us. When we realize that we can't keep the law, when we realize that we sin, we realize that we're not good enough. We realize that we're short of the standard. And it helps us define when we're out of line and when we're wrong. The law and our inability to keep the law, to keep rules of right and wrong, show us that we need a reality check. Now, I've had a couple moments of reality checks in my life. When I was in college, college, as many of you know, is not cheap. And my parents had a rule. Hey, you're going to get a summer job. You're going to make this much money. No matter what you've got to do, if you've got to work second shift, third shift, you've got to be in a factory, you've got to take overtime, you need to make money to go to college. And I know that there are some people that, that work in jobs like that. I know many friends that work very difficult jobs. But for me, those summer jobs were always a reality check. They would remind me why I wanted to go back to college in the fall, why I would work hard, why I would take semester upon semester upon semester of biblical languages and why I was wanting to work so hard to do my undergrad, to do my master's, and to get into my job to be a pastor. Sometimes I just needed a reality check that I didn't want to make paintbrushes at at midnight or at second shift for the rest of my life. I needed that reminder that I wanted to go back to school. Another reminder that's often real in my life, I try to let Kristen get away and we send her away from time to time to relax with her sisters and her family. And whenever she leaves, there's always a reality check where I ask myself, am I smart enough to raise my own kids? Can I feed them and and not let them get hurt? Can we survive for three, five, seven days without mom around? It's a reality check. When Kristen leaves, it reminds me that, that she's amazing and she does all the work and I take the credit. When I had to work in a factory in the summer, it was a reminder that I wanted to work hard at school and pursue the career that I wanted. Sometimes you go to the mechanic and you get a reality check. Sometimes you go to the mechanic and they say, ah, we need to fix this and this and this and this and this. And it's sobering and it lets you know that your life's not great and you're not going to have a lot of money and your car's not doing good. But it's also reality. and It's good to have that standard of measurement and say, yeah, there's something wrong and I got to fix it. It would be just as unloving for the mechanic to say, ah, your car will probably be fine. You probably won't crash. You probably won't get stranded somewhere. Just go ahead and, and try it. And so sometimes there's even love and clarity in naming standards and giving people boundaries and giving them a reality check. Everyone is held accountable by the law. You and I are held accountable by the law that we see in the Old Testament. And if the story ended there, that would be kind of sobering, like I've talked about. We've read, hey, we're all sinners. Hey, sin has an effect on all of us. Hey, we're all held accountable by the law. And it's like, yeah, I know, but that's really sad. But the story doesn't end there. So glad it doesn't because nothing messes with me more than a movie that ends sad. There've been two movies in my life that absolutely wrecked me. One was in high school. You're going to laugh at me, but it was a basketball movie called Sunset Park. I went and saw it with my basketball team my freshman year. We were so pumped to see it. Spoiler alert, I'm getting ready to ruin some movies here. This team makes it to the championship and they've got this great struggle and everyone's so excited. It comes down to the final shot the final shot gets blocked and they lose the championship. We all walked out of there like, are we just losers too? Ironically, my team that year also lost in the championship. Another movie that messed with me, there's a romantic movie. You're going to laugh at me. There's a movie called Dear John. I watched it a couple years ago. It's a Nicholas Sparks movie and it did not end the way I wanted and it really, really upset me. But this story, the story of humanity, the story of mankind is better than Sunset Park. This story, God's story in our lives is better than Dear John. What God does is provide 
a choose-your-own-adventure. And in this choose-your-own-adventure, we can have a part in writing the end of the story. This is Romans chapter 3, verse 21. It says this, But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law. As was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned, this is Romans 3.23, it's a famous one. For everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for our sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just, and he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. Can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No, because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It is based on faith. So we are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. We've said a lot of things here today. We've said that everyone is under sin. We've said that everyone is affected by sin. And we've also said that everyone is held accountable by the law. Well, after those amazing verses, after knowing the story can have a different ending, your story can have a different ending. Here's the fourth point I want to say to us today. Everyone can share in the gift of salvation in Jesus. We are lost in sin. We are affected by sin. We are held accountable to the law. Sin has a price, but Jesus pays that price. And we can know freedom. We can know life when we surrender to him. We can be made right. We can be made whole. We can be made new when we place our faith in his sacrifice of giving his life for our sins. You can't boast in yourself. You can't boast that you're enough, that you've done enough, that you're great, that you're religious, that, that you're, you're somehow magical and you don't sin. You're better than other people. No, some of the Jews, some of the religious people that Paul was talking about did that. But what you can brag about, what you can boast about, what you can say is, my Lord is great. My Lord is full of grace. My Lord is merciful. He's righteous and he's paid the price. He sent his son for me and I'm going to brag on my Lord. Here's a big idea for the day. We're all lost in our sin, but through Jesus, God makes us right in his sight. We're all lost in our sin, but through Jesus, God makes us right in his sight. There's a sobering reality of what we looked at today. Finding out that we're sinners, that we're lost in our sin, that sin comes natural to us, that we're all, we're all lying to ourselves and and we're wandering in the darkness, wandering toward death and sin and separation from God. That's that's sobering. It's, it's sad. And yet, when we can own up to that, when we can say, I am a sinner, I am lost, I'm nothing on my own apart from God, we're in a wonderful place. Because when we've finally torn down our walls and our defenses and our excuses, when we've stopped playing devil's advocate, when we've said, I am a sinner, and when we're at our lowest point, God can build us back up from there. So I just want to ask this question today. Have you admitted that you're a sinner? Have you admitted your need for Jesus? Do you realize that you're lost 
that you're wondering in your sin and have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ? Have you placed your faith in the sacrifice of him dying on the cross and said, I'm not enough to pay the price for my sins. I'm not enough to have a relationship with God, but Jesus is enough and what he did is enough to give me life and give me a relationship with God. We're all lost in our sin, but through Jesus, we can be made right in his sight. If you would like to make that decision today, I'd love for you to, to talk to someone in the house church that you're in, to, to get on our website and, and contact us to say, I want to talk about having a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you're watching us and you would say, isn't this what we talked about last week? Isn't this what we talked about the week before? I've made that decision. I'm a Christian. I'm religious. I'm a Christ follower. I'm here. I'm part of this church. And Paul to that in this passage said, great, great. Anchor your life in the gospel. Anchor your heart in the gospel. Know the gospel. Let it push you to obedience. Let it push you to holiness. Let it push you to action. Let it push you to ministry for others. And let it push you to build the church of Jesus. We're at a point right now as a church where we're regathering. We're rebuilding some things. There's a lot of things we're out of practice in and things that we haven't done and things that are not really clear right now. And a lot of people are asking questions. I hope that this passage and I hope that our anchor in the gospel will push us to be holy, will push us to action, will push us to honor God with our lives and our hearts and our motives and everything that we have that he gives us. And as we rebuild Movement Church, as we regather Movement Church, we can truly embody being the church that we feel called to be, a movement of people finding their way back to God, letting people take steps, helping people take steps, helping people find their way back to God through a relationship with Jesus. That's our calling, that's our anchor, that's our DNA, that's who we are. Let's pray together today. God, thank you so much for the gospel. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus. God, thank you that even when we read chapter one and two and three and we see that we're all lost, we're all lost even when we think we're good and moral and religious, Lord, you still have a plan. You still sent Jesus. You still redeem us and offer us grace and mercy and relationship through the work and the sacrifice of your son. God, help us to be anchored in that. Help us to grow in that. Help us to spread the gospel, to tell the gospel to the world and to build your church, to proclaim your name, to make your name famous and to brag on you. God, we love you. We thank you. And we're excited to be anchored in your truth and in your good news today. Thank you for Jesus, your son. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Movement Church Podcast. Our vision is to be a movement of people finding their way back to God. We hope wherever you are, this message encourages you to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus. For more information about Movement Church, including attending a worship experience, getting connected, or to give online, please visit movementcolumbus.com.